So the last uh, last several weeks, we've been going through uh, some some truths in God's Word about the local church, and really trying to get specific to Grace Community Church, and um, and that's kind of where we've been heading. And then I came across this this quote. Uh, you know, it's today we're, we're we've been talking about the local church, and today we're going into a church, and this will be the last part, last um, teaching of this series here. And uh, today we're talking about loving one another. And I came across this quote. There's a guy, second century Christian, Tertullian. And uh, he lived during the time of the uh, Roman Empire when they, they uh, looked on, kind of with some, they were looking on with suspicion on Christians, right? And sometimes they would send spies into their meetings. While these, while these Christians meeting like they're meeting, they would send spies in. And this was uh, something that Tertullian wrote about that. This was one of the uh, reports, the spy took back to the leader or to the rulers of Rome. He said, these Christians are very strange people. They speak of one by the name of Jesus, who is absent, but whom they seem to be expecting at any time. And how they love Him. And how they love one another. I thought that was fitting. Uh... You know, spies came in among us. What would they say? What would the report be that goes back? My topic today is being a church that loves one another. And I don't imagine, you know, this truth that we, Grace Community Church, need to love one another. I don't think that's probably uh, new to anybody's ears. Uh, so what I want to encourage you to do is we, as we talk through this, I want you to see uh, there's something that the Lord's going to do. In fact, He's going to say, this is a new command. The verse that we're going to be in, He's going to say, this is a new command that I give to you, to love one another. Okay? And so I want you to let this hit you fresh and see from the Scriptures as we talk about these things, let it sit on you, the, the intensity of this love that we're called to. Anybody arrived yet on their love for your brothers and sisters? And you know you haven't. I haven't. And so let it sit on you fresh, the intensity of the love that we're called to. And also, let's, let's examine ourselves as we talk through this today, love for one another. Now, when I say love for one another, I mean love in the way that the Bible defines love, not the way the culture defines love. And when I say one another, I mean brothers and sisters in Christ loving one another. Now, we're called to love all people. Christians are called to love all people. Even Jesus even says, love your enemies. But there is a special, very special kind of love that goes down between brothers and sisters in Christ. Remember Galatians 6.10? It says, do good to all. Especially, especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a special love that should go down between brothers and sisters of Grace Community Church, okay? So this is what we're going after, a church, a church full of love for one another. Now we're mainly going to be in John 13, verse 34 and 35, so you can go ahead and flip there. John 13, verse 34 and 35. Now before, before we go there, though, let me just mention a few things, okay? Before we dive in. Like I just said, we spent the last several weeks going into things in the Scriptures about the local church, getting very specific, very personal with us, okay? And we've been doing that. Now, here's some things that we've studied. We've studied uh, a church that grows inwardly into the image of Jesus out of Ephesians 4. We've studied a church that grows outwardly through gospel preaching, disciple making, sending out missionaries. We did an overview in Acts. Uh, we did a church with a pervasive love for Jesus out of Revelation chapter 1. We did a church pursuing holiness and discipline together out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. 
We did a, a church that wholeheartedly worships God out of Psalm 95. Uh, we've done a church empowered by the Holy Spirit to do all these things. And then today we're going to wrap it up in this massive truth. A church that's full of love for one another. So before we go there though, let me ask you a question. What are you doing with these truths? What have you done with these teachings? How have you treated these, these challenges that's coming your way over the last few weeks? What are you doing with these things? Let me, let me just put something in front of you. You live in an Ezekiel 33, verse 30-32 culture. You live in that culture. Have you been affected by it? You say, well, I don't know what it says. Well, well hold your place there. Let me read it to you. Ezekiel 33. Listen to this in verse 30 through 32. You have been a, you have you live in the midst of this sort of culture. Have you been affected by it? Look at verse 30. Ezekiel 33:30. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another. Everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. Doesn't that sound like a good thing? Keep going. So they come to you as people do and they sit before you as my people and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as a, as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on the instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. You think Ezekiel liked that? Think he liked just being a pleasant instrument? Said he, yeah, they hear your words and they like coming and listening to you, but they don't walk in it. They don't do the things that you say to them. So you've been, have you been affected by that? As we've been going through these things about the church of the last several weeks, are you a doer of God's word? Have you been a Berean with God's word? Acts 17, 11, it says the Bereans, they received the word of God with all readiness when the teachers taught and then they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were true. What are you doing with these things. And let me encourage you today, uh, regardless of where you stand on what you've done with the past teaching, let's take, let's wrap it all up, take inventory on it today, and let's be a doer of God's Word. Okay, let's read John 13, verse 34 and 35. Look at it with me. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is a big deal. This is a massive command that we would love one another. And you know, let me just say this. All the things, when you think about our church, all the things that we say as a church that we desire to be, and that we desire to do, we need a supernatural love for one another. We need that to happen among us, just a supernatural love for one another. And I praise God, just as was prayed earlier, of the love that God has put in our hearts for one another. But we need more and more. Our love would abound still more and more, as the Scripture says. We need that. One thing in particular that we say we want to do, this has just been on my mind recently. Okay, me and my family have been reading through a, a book called The Insanity of God. Uh, about this guy that he, he's going to these different cultures where Christians are persecuted, the hardest places on the earth to take the gospel to. And what's been on my mind is we want to be a church. We've, we've been saying it since the very beginning that takes the gospel to these unreached places. 
And, and, we, and we remind ourselves often, why are these places so unreached? And one reason is because they don't want you there. And they kill people that come there. And they throw people in jail that come there. So you think about this. You think about what that might mean. It's like a train, just a train wreck waiting to happen, right? We're saying we're a church and we want to get out. We want to, we're asking God, God, open doors into these unreached places. And we're asking as a church for that to happen. What, what, is, a, what is the possibilities of results that will come from that? Man, there can be pain. There can be imprisonment. There can be children who die. You understand? These things happen. And so we need a deep love. We need to come up around each other and love each other. And that's just one aspect of what we're saying we want to be and how we need a love for each other. This is a big deal. A big deal. Okay? Let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Lord, thank You that we can come to Your Word this morning. And God, we, you, you have directed us in Your Word. You've directed us uh, about what we're to be as a church and what we're to do as Your church. God, you, you have, You've directed us in Your Word, and I praise You for that. And God, help us. Help us, God, to, to be uh, the church that You've called us to be. Help us to glorify Your holy name in every way You've told us to glorify You. Help us, Lord. God, we want to honor You. We want to honor You, Lord. With everything in us, God, we want to honor You. We want to, we want to sift out everything that dishonors You, God, and we want to glorify Your name. So God, I pray that as we seek to be the church You've called us to be, that You would wrap all of this up in a love for one another. Help us to walk out and obey these words this morning. God, help me as I teach Your Word. Help me, God, to, to preach in the ability that You supply so that in every bit of it You get glory. And I pray that You help every hearer of Your Word not to just hear as a lovely song, God, but to hear ready to receive as Your words. Thank You, God, for Your help. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's start off with the context of this passage. Okay, so verse 34, 35, you, you, you can, you're looking at it there, you see it. This new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And let's talk for a minute about the, the context around this. And as you look at the context around this command, what it's going to do is put some heavy weight on these words. Heavy weight on these words. Here's the con- two major things that I want you to see from the context that, that, have, that have already happened in John chapter 13 before you get to this command in verse 34. Two major things that have happened. Number one, Jesus in an act of love, knowing that He's about to be slaughtered in the place of His people whom He loves, Knowing that that's about to happen, he gets down lowly like a slave and he begins to wash his disciples' feet. That's one thing that happens. Look at verse 1 with me. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, so He knew. He knew that He was about to be crucified the next day. He knew that it was coming. Having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. Jesus loves these men. He loves these men. And He's about to get down low like a servant and begin to wash their feet. What humble love that Jesus is going to show toward these men. Look at, look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God. Think about what Jesus knew in that moment. He knew that He was from God. He knew that He was going back to God. He knew these things. 
Everything was given into his hands. He knew this. And verse 4 says, He rose from supper and he laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured, can you see him there? He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded. So he begins to wipe their feet. So in love, you see Jesus getting down low and serving these men. This is, this is an awesome display of humble servant love from Jesus before He goes to the cross. And it's such an amazing display that Peter actually gets a little uncomfortable, right? And he says, no, 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 no you can't wash me. And Jesus says, I must wash you. You won't be clean. And so He, so he washed him. This is an act of love. Okay, now, in this act of love, first of all, this is very symbolic. This act of love where Jesus sheds His garments and He puts on slave clothes and He gets down and He cleans their feet and then He gets back up and puts His garment back on and sits down. This is very, very symbolic. Jesus, it says right there, we just read it, He laid aside His garments, took a towel and girded Himself. And in the same way, Jesus had already, the Eternal One, the Glorified One, had already laid, his, laid aside His garment and took on human flesh. Just like He takes on slave clothes here. Just like it says He stooped down, it says He cleansed their feet, He washed their feet, He's cleaning their feet. In the same way, in just a few hours, He's going to be hanging on a cross. And all the wrath of God is going to be poured out on Him instead of on us. And through that, He's going to cleanse us on the inside, not just our feet, but cleanse us from the inside out. And just as verse 12 says, and when He washed their feet, and taking His garments and sat down again, even so Christ the Savior, after He died for our sins, would rise again from the dead. He would ascend on high and be seated as King of glory. And this is symbolic. This is symbolic. The, the death of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, the ultimate display of love being shown to His disciples right here. And not only is it symbolic, but this is meant to be something for us to imitate. We're actually supposed to imitate this. Look at verse 14 and 15. If I then your Lord and your teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And this lays the foundation for our command that's coming up in just a minute. Love one another. Even as I've loved you, so you love one another. Just like the King of glory got low and washed feet, so you love one another. Just like the Creator of the universe hung on a cross and died for the sins, laid down His life for the sins of the people that He loves, so love one another. It's going to lay a foundation. Now, this is why I want you, I want you to think about this. Okay? These, are two, these are two things. As the disciples later on, okay, as, as, they, as Christ dies, He's buried, He's risen from the dead, ascends on high, and His people live out the Gospel as we read in the book of Acts. During that time, you think about it, they could reach back. They could reach back in their memory and grab hold of this time that the King of glory knelt down before them and washed their feet. And in just a moment, they can reach back and call to remembrance that Christ had hung on a cross for their sins and they could remember this, this is supposed to inform the intensity of their love for one another. Because we're walking up to this command. So this is the first thing that happened. First thing that happened leading up to our command today is that Christ washed the disciples' feet. Second thing that happened. 
Second thing that happened is Judas, one of Jesus' twelve, is going to head in the direction of betraying Jesus. Judas is going to betray Jesus. And you see that in verses 18 through 30. We're not going to read all that, but what you see in verses 18 through 30 is Jesus tells His disciples, one of you is going to betray Me. One of you is going to betray Me. And then Peter looks at John. John's sitting the closest to Jesus and looks at John and motions to him. Ask him who it is. And John leans back and he says, who is it, Lord? And Jesus says to him, and John's the only one that hears, he says to him, the one to whom I give this piece of bread. And he passes it to Judas. And Satan enters him and Judas heads out and he's heading out to betray Jesus in this moment. He's going to, to uh, bring his crucifiers in. He's going to betray his Lord. Okay, so you think about this. You think about, okay, the things that have led up to this command. Think about how huge this is. Think about how massive this moment is, how, how crucial. This is a very, very crucial time. This is the night before Jesus is about to be crucified. I mean, the, the first steps are already put in motion, right? Judas is gone. As he walks out, Jesus says, what you do, do it quickly. Only John knew what he was talking about. Okay, And he heads out to go, to go betray Jesus. And the next day, he's going to be arrested and then eventually crucified. Okay, So this is a huge moment. This is huge. Whatever Jesus is about to say is massive in this moment. And then to add to it, just to take it a step higher, look at the first thing that He says. Look at verse 31. Judas has just left. Now it's just Jesus and the eleven here. And verse 31 says, So when He had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified. And God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him immediately. Now we don't have time to break down this passage, but all this stuff, what, what I want you to see is this makes it even higher. This is massive, okay? You think about it. If you, if you studied the Bible on this, you know that you exist for His glory. That you literally breathe and you live your life and you'll die and you live again and all of it is for the glory of Jesus. And He just took that exalted word and He used it five times in two sentences. Okay? This is massive. This is the big This is a, a huge event. I want you to think about this, okay? Think about how huge these next few moments. He's about to say something. Think about how huge these next few mo moments are, okay? The Lord's Supper has just gone down. Jesus' death march has begun as Judas goes out to betray Him. In just, just a few hours, Jesus will be hanging on a cross about to absorb the wrath of God for our sins. And He describes, Jesus describes what's happening right now as glorified, 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 glorified. This is a big deal. This is a massive deal. What could Jesus possibly say in this moment? And He looks at him and He says in verse 33, with affections and love. Little children. Little children. In verse 34, he says, love one another. Love one another. Even as I've loved you, that you might love one another. Do you see how massive this is? you see how big this command is? Even as I have loved you, so you love one another. Think about the love of Jesus for a minute. Just think about the love of Jesus. He has stooped down to wash their feet. In just a few hours, He's going to taste death for them. He's going to absorb the excruciating pain of the wrath of God that was not due His name, it was due ours. 
And in verse 33, he looks at him. Here's some words. I mean, full of affection. Think, think tender love right here. And he says, little children. Little children. That's only used. One other book in the Bible uses that in 1 John. This is the only place this word is used in the book of John. He looks at him and he says, little children. Then he turns to him and says, as I have loved you, so you love one another. So I hope the timing of these words and I hope the, the context that's around these words in verse 34 and 35, our command today to love one another, I hope you see how monumental this is. I hope you see how massive this moment is, okay? So let's dig a little deeper into verse 34 and 35. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved, as I have loved you that you love one another. So first thing we need to do, let's get some clarity on this word love. Let's get some clarity on the word love, okay? We live in a culture where that word love is very, very skewed, okay? But we at Grace Community Church cannot be hazy in our understanding of the word love. It's too important. There's too much at stake here, okay? We cannot be unclear in our definition of love, and we've got to be able to articulate it with the Bible, okay? So love, let's get some clarity on what this word means. And what I want to give you here on your sheet are five little helps, okay? Five helps. They're there on your sheet. Five helps to help you understand and define this word love. Help number one. Love is not the warm, fuzzy, Hollywood movie stuff. Okay? It's a counterfeit and it's marked by selfishness. But the Bible says love does not seek its own. This is a counterfeit. Love is, is real love is other person focused. You're looking at somebody else and their needs and their good. It's not self-centered. That's number one. Number two, in response to this sort of uh, false love, okay, this Hollywood love, and in response to that, some people begin to hold up this banner. Love is a verb. Love is a choice. Love is an action. And I'll say to you that that's incomplete as well. It's an incomplete Definition. Now, I believe what most people are trying to get at when they say love is an action, when they say something like that, what they're trying to get at is a biblical truth. First uh, John one eighteen, excuse me, First John three eighteen. It says, "Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth." So don't just love, don't just say it, don't just love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And when people say love is an action, this is usually what they're getting at. But to leave it at that, love is an action. Love is just, it's, it's a verb. It's just, it's a choice you make. It's incomplete because what you can do when you say something like that is you miss the internal affections that can be there. Okay, the internal affections that should be and that we should be aimed at. Now, now hear, hear me out. There are choices that you make that run against your feelings. For example, and this is in love. For example, God, Father, if there's any other way, take this, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will be done. That's real. But don't let the internal affections of love get hijacked in this. Listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3 says that you can bestow all your goods to the poor. You can even give your body to be burned. And if you have not love, it profits you nothing. Okay? So we need a more robust... Uh, Big picture, biblical, godly picture of love. Okay, so let me give you the third help and we'll start moving that direction. So what is it? What is love? You told me what it's not, so what is it? Love consists of inward affection, okay? when It's inward affections toward these men. When Jesus knelt down and began to wash their dirty feet, He didn't do it with disgust in His heart. 
Wish I didn't have to do this. Okay? He loved these men. He loved these men. Think about it. Just a few verses later, after he washed their feet, he looks at them and he says with affection, little children, little children. And this is in other places in the Bible. Romans 12.10 says, love one another with brotherly affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. Don't miss the internal. When we start thinking about loving one another, the internal affections there, the internal affections that came from Christ. 1 Peter 1.11 says, fervently, it's 1 Peter 1.11, fervently love one another from the heart. This is something from the heart. Fervently love one another from the heart. It, it consists of internal affections towards one another as Christ had toward us, little children. Okay? Fourth, love consists of outward action. Jesus did not just say He loved them, but He actually lived it out. He got down low and washed their feet and, and hung on a cross for their sins. He didn't just say it. Love is not passive. It's active. It's not just sitting around, well, they don't hate me, I don't hate them, we're okay. Love is active in this. He actually stepped forward and washed their feet in love. At, uh, John 13, 1, he says, he loved them and he loved them to the end. And then he gets down and he washes their feet. This is an active love. Okay, I want you to compare two verses. Compare these two verses. Galatians uh, 5, 14, and actually even before Galatians 5, 14, Galatians 5, 13 says, in love, serve one another. You see how active this is? This is where we're going to, in love, serve one another. But I want you to compare two verses. The next verse, verse 14, says this. All the law is fulfilled in one word. And I bet if you read it, but if you read that verse on your own or read the context around it, you'll know that he's talking about that word, love. All the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, that you love your neighbors yourself. Even in this. Love, one, fulfilled in one word. Now put that up next to Galatians 6, 2. Listen to this. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All the law is fulfilled in this one word. Love. So you see it's getting put up right next to each other. Love and bear one another's burdens. This is not pa- passive. Love is not passive. Love is active. It, it searches out the burdens of the brothers and sisters around you and gets up under those burdens. Just like Christ, Right? who looked on us and we've got this burden of sin. He sees, He searches us out. He sees the burden of sin and the burden of the wrath of God that hangs over our heads as sinners and He gets Himself up under that burden and frees us and moves us out of the way and He takes the burden for us. This is love. This is very active. And this brings me to my fifth little help. Jesus... And His death on the cross is the ultimate example to us of real love. Jesus' death on that cross is the ultimate. We don't understand love outside of Christ and Him crucified. Listen to Romans 5.8. God demonstrates His love for us. How? And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is how He demonstrated. Listen to 1 John 3.16. By this we know love because He laid down His life for us. By this we know love because He laid down His life for us. So our aim, our aim, we're starting to define love. Inward affections toward one another. Okay, we're called to love one another. Inward affections toward one another of love. Okay, and and outward action, living these things out like Christ and what He has done. He's 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 our aim here. This is what we're aimed at when we say love one another. Okay, now, 
But out of verse 34, here's what we've answered. We've said, what is love? Out of verse 34. Okay? Second point I want to make out of verse 34 is this. I want us to take note that this is a commandment. This is a commandment. Listen to what he says. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. This is not a suggestion. It is a command. A new commandment I give to you, says Jesus. At Grace Community Church, we should not look at these things as nice suggestions. But no, we see these as commandments that we want to go after and obey. We want to go after affections and love for one another. We want to go after actions of service toward one another. Love being lived out through service. We want to go after that together and we must obey it. And not only is this a command, but this is, this is the highest of the horizontal commands. You know, you've got like 59 uh, one another commands in the Bible. You know, be hospitable to one another or, or uh, forgive one another or serve one another. You've got about 59 of these one another commands in the New Testament. And this command, love one another, sits as the chief one another. This is the chief one another above all the, above all the others. It sits at the top. Okay? Love one another. This is a big deal. How do I know that? Jesus said this. Listen. Matthew 22, verse 37 and 40. He says, love the Lord your God. First commandment. Second commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophet hang off of these two commandments. And one of those is love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another. Paul said it. Not only Jesus, but Paul said it. Listen to Colossians 3.14. He's already called the Colossians to be kind and to be merciful and to forgive one another and to be humble. And then he says this, but above all these things, above, at the top, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So Jesus said it. Paul said it. Peter said it. Listen to 1 Peter 4.8. He says, above all things, Above everything else, have fervent love for one another. This command sits at the top. This is the chief one another. Why? Why is this the chief one another? Because when we obey this command to love one another, these other one another's and these other commands we walk out of, they flow out a whole lot more naturally, okay? They produce these things. When you love one another, of course you want to be hospitable to one another. When you love one another, of course you'll want to forgive one another. And so all these other commands and all these other one another's, all they do is we, we love each other and God's filled us with love for each other. That's what He's done. And then all those other commands, they just direct our love and show us how to live it out, okay? This is a big deal. The other end... Why, why, is this the, why is this the chief one another? Because when this one is not obeyed, all the other commands that you obey lack sincerity. They lack sincerity, and this is not pleasing to the Lord. Think about it again. 1 Corinthians 13, 3. You can give your body to be burned and bestow all your goods to feed the poor, and yet have not love. And he says it profits you nothing. Okay? So this is the chief one another. This is a big deal. Now, third point I want to bring out of verse 34 is this. And it's really more of a question. It's more of a question, okay? Why does Jesus say, a new commandment I give to you? He says it right there, verse 34. A new, a new commandment I give to you. Was the command to love one another, when He came out of Jesus' mouth, was it new? 
And in one sense, you say, no, it wasn't new because Jesus has already quoted from Leviticus 19.18 and He called it the second greatest commandment. It's love your neighbors yourself. So this, this idea of loving people, this is not a new thought. So why does Jesus call it new right here? And the newness is found in the following words. Love, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And here's the explanation. Here's the newness. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. Jesus puts Himself up as the example, as the pattern. He says, as I have loved you, this is the newness of it, like the intensity with which I've loved you, the example that I've given you, I've loved you, so love one another. This is the newness of this command. Now, this this phrase, as I have loved you, there's two things that we can pull, that we can learn from this, okay? Number one is this. Jesus lays Himself up as the example, as the pattern of love, so that we can can live out His love. That's one thing we can see. Second thing we can see from this is Jesus' love is seen as the empowerment for your love and the fuel for your love. Like, live on His love as you love others. You get that? So not only does this verse say, as I have loved you, so you love one another. Not only is His love that He displayed, not only is it the pattern, but it's the fuel through which we love one another. Not only is it the example, but it's the empowerment through which we love one another. Not only do we live out the love of Jesus, but we live on the love of Jesus as we love one another. Do you get what I'm saying? Okay? Now, I want you to think about what it means. Let's take that first one. Jesus' love as the example. Okay, so we want to live out the example. We want to live out the pattern of Jesus' love. What does this mean? How, how does Christ's example of love that He showed, how does it change the way we think about loving one another at Grace Community Church? How does it change it? And I want to give you two main thoughts here. First is this. It, in, it infinitely intensifies everything we've already said about love. Everything we've already said, you think about this. I just mentioned to you that love is, it involves these inward affections toward one another. Jesus, look at him saying, little children, or love one another with brotherly affection. Now you think of how much, when we think of Jesus' inward affections, like, like he rejoices over us with gladness. He quiets us with his love. He, rejo- he finds joy in us. He enjoys those that are in him. And you think about turning that toward one another, these affections. Do you enjoy your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you enjoy one another? Or even grief. You know, this thing that was prayed earlier that we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we see Jesus doing this, right? We see Jesus weeping over these ladies whose brother had died. We see Him weeping over these things. Or even over, think think about the negative affections over grief over sin. Okay, Jesus loves us so much that when we do something so harmful to ourselves like sin against Him, that He grieves Him according to the Scriptures. And do we do that? Do we look in each other? Think of the intensity. Think what we're getting called to here. The affections of enjoying one another and, and even grieving with one another and over one another. Do you see this? It intensifies. It infinitely intensifies what we're called to in our love for one another when He says, as I have loved you. And not only the internal stuff, but what about the external stuff? He paid the ultimate price. He laid down His life. And it wasn't just a death like we think of a death. It was a death that involved the the hell that sinners deserve getting poured out on Him. And He took it. This is His action. So then we look out. He says, as I've loved you, 
love one another. You see how this infinitely intensifies what we're called to toward one another? That's one thing. Second thing I want to say is this. It also adds, when you hear these words, as I, Jesus says, as I have loved you. It also adds another layer to this love that is a big deal. It's a big deal. And the word I'll use here is unconditional. What we're talking about here that Jesus showed was unconditional love. What does this mean? Unconditional. It means that His love was not dependent on us loving Him. His love for us was not dependent on our faith. His love for us was not dependent on us doing good things and us earning His love. He loved us while we were still sinners, according to Romans 5.8. You see that? While we were despicable and filthy and haters of God, He loved us. Titus 3, verse 3 and 4 says it like this, that we were foolish and disobedient and deceived and we served various lusts and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy and we were hateful and hating one another. That's every one of us. And it says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. You see how unconditional this is? This is unconditional love. So how does this affect us? How does this affect us? Christ has commanded us, Christ commanded us, as I have loved you, so you love one another. This changes things. This is a big deal, okay? This is very important. Sometimes people interpret these verses, love one another. They interpret it like this. This is how they apply it to their life. Be loved. Or get around people that will love you. And the first time somebody doesn't love them, and the second time somebody doesn't love them, they bolt out of there. And they say they're not obeying that command to love one another. You see the problem I'm getting at? You see how conditional this is? But what if we live out this unconditional love? Because listen, if you're around long enough, you guys that have been here for a while, you know, like I said last time, if, you, if you're here long enough, you know that we are going to do each other wrong. Don't you know that? We're going to misunderstand each other. And not only just misunderstand, we're going to have things that we do towards it's going to be, We're going to do each other wrong. That's going to happen, okay? We're going to mess up in these ways. But we live out this unconditional love of Jesus. He loved us while we were still sinners. He was crucified for us. And we look at our brothers and sisters, and even when they do us wrong, it changes nothing. We love one another. You see it? Now, I want you to take one more, little, one more little thought on this, okay? This rocked me. You ready? I want you to think about what Judas did. Okay, Judas, here in John 13, he's getting up and he's about to go betray Jesus. He's faked love for him this whole time. Stolen money. Spit in his face. Betrayed him to his enemies. Took the money with him. This is the kind of thing that he did. This is horrible. Do you see how horrible this is? And the night before, if you carefully read John 13, the night before, what does Jesus do? He hits his knees and he washes that man's feet. He, he gets down before him like a slave and he, and he washes that man's feet. Who are you mad at? Who are you frustrated with? Who you got something against? Who are you having a hard time loving? Get what I'm saying? As Christ has loved us, man, this love, it infinitely intensifies the way we think about loving each other. This is a big deal. This is a big deal. Now, so, so I've talked about living out the love of Jesus. And he's the example. He's the pattern. But also what we see here is living on the love of Jesus. This sounds impossible, right? The way Jesus loved us, that we love each other that way, this sounds absolutely impossible. Especially when you start thinking about the internal affections, right? 
Because I can, I can do a certain thing and I can say a certain thing, but as far as actually having it change from the heart, from the inside out, how do I do that? Doesn't this seem impossible? And here's what I want to tell you. Jesus' love for us displayed in the Gospel is not only our example, but it's the fuel for our love for one another. It's the empowerment for our love. It's what we live on. Now, why do I say that? And this is all over the Bible. I don't have time to go through all these places. Let me just remind you of one parable Jesus told. One parable. There's a king. And this king had this servant, and this servant owed him so much money. You can't understand how much this servant owed this king. And the servant comes before the king and he begs the king to have mercy. And the king, full of pity and full of compassion and full of love, looks at him. And not only does he say, you don't have to pay it now, but he says, I forgive you of the debt. The debt's gone. You don't owe me anything, actually, is what the king says to this servant. Servant walks out of there, I'm sure happy. And he walks out of there and he comes across one of his fellow servants. And he owes him just a little bit. He didn't owe him too much, just, just a little bit. And he says, give me what you owe. And he chokes him out and he throws him in prison. And you know what happened when the king heard about this? The king heard about this and he said, should you not have had compassion, pity, love on your fellow servant just like I had pity on you? Oh, that that servant would have been thinking on the love that had been poured out to him in Christ Jesus. I'm going to go ahead and make the application. Oh, that that we would just meditate on the love of Christ. Oh, that we would be obsessed with the love of Christ. And this would be fuel for us to look out our brothers and sisters, even when they do us wrong, and to love one another. I know that everybody here, when when you hear these commands to love one another in the intensity that we're called to, as Christ loved you, when you hear that, I know you think, this sounds impossible. This is the fuel. Be obsessed with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the fuel. Ask Him to mold you and change you. Alright, verse 35. Verse 35 says, By this, all will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all will know that you're My disciples if you have love for one another. i got two main points I want to pull out of this and, and we'll close. First point is this. By this, all will know that you're my disciples. True discipleship is marked by love for one another. True discipleship is marked by love for the brethren, okay? So, so, so think about this. This has happened to you, right? If you're here, and, and maybe you're here and you know that you're not born again, you know you're not a Christian, and so this doesn't apply. But if you're here and you're born again, this has happened to you, right? You really could care less about the church. You really didn't care about being around people that love God at all. Now all of a sudden you do. Now all of a sudden you find yourself wanting to be around the body of Christ, wanting to be around brothers and sisters of Christ. Haven't you seen that? A true mark of somebody being a true disciple, a mark of somebody being truly converted is love for one another, okay? Now, John the Apostle wrote this, okay? And he gives the greatest authoritative commentary on it in his other letter called 1 John. So I want you to flip with me to 1 John and I want you to see this same idea over and over again that that true discipleship, true conversion is marked marked by love for one another. 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verse 9 through 11. Listen to it. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother 
is in darkness until now. So it's possible. It's possible to be going around saying, I'm in the light, I'm in the light, I'm in the light, but I'm in darkness. That's possible. He who loves his brother abides in the light. And there, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You see this? True conversion, true, true, really being in light, marked by what? Love for others. Not hatred, but love for others. Go to 1 John chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14. Listen. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. How do you know? What's the mark of someone who has passed from death to life? What is one of those marks? And a big mark here is love for the brethren. Love for the body of Christ. Love for the church. You say, I want, do you find yourself wanting to push your way? Say, I really could care less about being around people that are serious about following God. Or do you find yourself saying, I, I love the brethren. I love the brethren. I love the brother. I want to be around brothers and sisters in Christ. And right here it says, by this you know that you pass from death to life. Look at chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You see it? What's the mark of somebody really born of God? It says they love one another. They love one another. And the opposite is also true. A lack of love. or, or uh, This is never, you say, I have really no concern about being around the body of Christ. This, this could tell you something. This is evidence that you possibly have never been truly converted. Look at verse 20. Chapter 4, verse 20, last one. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen. You see what he's getting at over and over again? True discipleship is marked by love for one another. Now let me speak to everyone here who's, who's genuinely born again, okay? You're genuinely born again. You're here. You're in Christ Jesus. Doesn't this add just another layer of importance on what we're talking about? Love one another. I mean, this is a mark that we are who we are. This is a mark that we are in Christ Jesus, that we love one another. Okay, this should encourage us to increase more and more and more and more like Philippians 1.9 says that our love might abound still more and more. That it just increases. That we serve one another more and more and more. Now, let me speak to some who may not genuinely be saved. Okay, Everybody here knows. Now, some of you may know that you're not born again, that you're not in Christ. And you know that. And so, again, this doesn't necessarily apply to you. But let me speak. We, it, everybody here knows that in the American Churches, okay? It's just a common thing to be a member of a church, to be a part of churches, and yet not really be born again. I want to speak to you. I want to speak to you. You who are not genuinely born again. Maybe you say like it says here, I know God, or I love God, but the reality is you're in darkness until now. So let me speak to you. Let me just talk to you for a minute. Do you love the brethren? Examine yourself. Do you love the church? Do you feel drawn to those people who follow God sincerely? Do you feel drawn to that? Listen to 1 John 3, 14 again. Listen, we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. If you do not see, if it, you don't see this, if there's something you're wondering, I, I don't really, it doesn't seem like this has happened in my life. This has never gone down. Could it be that you've never really been converted? Could this be true? 
Could this be true? I want to speak to you. Could it be true about you? We're not, we're not exempt from this. We're a smaller church, but we're not exempt from people being among us and coming to church Sunday after Sunday, meeting with the body of Christ, being around the things of God, and yet still not being born again. So I want to plead with you. If you feel like maybe I'm talking to you right now, I want to plead with you. Do not sit over and over and over again hearing the Word of God and then rip hell wide open. Please don't do that. Satan would love nothing better than you just sit under this teaching and be numb to it over and over again, being around the things of God and yet still never know Christ and spend eternity in hell. He would love nothing better than that. So I plead with you. I plead with you. Christ has had open arms. He's died for your sins. He's taken your wrath. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And He'll change your heart. You'll be born again. And you'll love the brethren. You'll love them. I plead with you to be saved. Now back to you here who are genuinely born again. Last point I want to make about verse 35. Listen. Our love for one another stands as a witness to this world. Listen to the verse again. Listen. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Our love for one another stands as a witness to the world. We want people to be saved, right? We want to be a witness to this world. We want to see people converted. We desire that. And this just said that, that... Our love for one another affects a lost and dying world. It really does. It really does. And there's multiple stories. Even this book I was telling you that we're reading. There's multiple stories like this of people that have been hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They get around some people and they begin to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they look out and they see love for one another. And some of that love begins to spill out on them. And their hearts melted and they come to Christ Jesus and they put their hope in Him. Over and over again, our love for one another stands as a witness to the world. This is a big deal. Listen to 1 John 4.12. 1 John 4.12. Listen. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. No wonder Satan wants to stir up strife. No wonder he wants to make us indifferent toward one another. This is, this is a visible display of the invisible God. John 1.18 says this. Listen, listen to the same author. John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, He has declared Him. Jesus, the visible, the, the visible uh, representation of God of the invisible God, the visible of the invisible. That's where it is. And then in 1 John 4, 12, it says, again, it says the same thing. No one has seen God at any time. When we love one another, God abides in us. Visible representation of the invisible God. This is powerful. It's very powerful. And I pray that we would see it. And I pray that we would love each other very, very deeply. Affections, actions, service, like Christ Jesus, I pray that Christ's love would dominate here. It would dominate. Now, I think application is obvious. Y'all don't need me to apply this, right? Application is obvious. Love one another with affections and actions like Jesus. Okay? Love one another. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to zoom out real quick. I want to zoom out and I want to give more of an application of this whole thing we've been going through about the local church. Let me just zoom out. This is the last one. We're, we're getting back into the book of Mark next week, God willing. 
So let me zoom out and give a quick application, okay? What are you going to do with all this? Okay, are, are uh, me and Dustin just crazy? Are we just thinking of things that fill up this little space, this little gap of time? Or could it be that the Holy Spirit puts these things on our hearts to feed the church? What, what, what could it be? Okay, what, do you, what, do you, what are you going to do with these things? How are you going to examine yourself? As you think about the, the things that have been taught the last several weeks, Grace Community Church, you who are Grace Community Church, what are you going to do with these things? How are you going to walk them out? How are you going to be a doer of the Word? How are you going to examine yourself? What, what's going to happen from here on out? Okay, And I believe, I tend to think that if we lay hold of these things, these last several things that we've been walking through, that if we lay hold of these things, and we obey these things, and we walk these things out, that we will be a church that is a growing church, a growing in maturity, growing into the image of Jesus, winning lost souls, multiplying churches, sending out missionaries to the unreached places on this earth, growing in holiness, growing in discipline, true worshipers of Jesus Christ, sincere love for Jesus Christ, and increasing in love for one another. Doesn't that sound awesome? And if we're like that, what's the result? Ephesians 3.21 says this, To Him be glory, to Him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. God, help us. We need Your help, Lord, and we praise You that You have promised it. You said that we could come before a throne of grace and get grace and mercy to help in time of need. And I praise You for Your promise. And I just lift up our church to You, Lord. I lift us up to You, God. God, every, every, just we're Yours. Mold us, God. You're, you're the one that molds us. God, you, we're Yours. Whatever You want us to do, whatever You want us to, to say, God, wherever You want us to go, God, we're Yours. We don't own ourselves. You own us, Lord, and we gladly, we gladly come under Your ownership. So God, I just lift up this church. Use us for Your glory, God. Let it be glory to You forever and ever through this church. In Jesus' name, Amen.